Uh, the Old Testament reading is found in your Pew Bible on page 554. Uh, Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. And the New Testament is um, Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. It's on page 995 in the Pew Bible. And the heading is Jesus Anointed at Bethany. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, 
They were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you all for having me here this morning. Before we dive into the word, I invite you to bow your heads with me as we welcome the Holy Spirit into this space. Triune God, we thank you for the marvelous gift that it is to be able to read your word together. Pray this morning that you will open our ears and our minds and our hearts to hear what it is that you want to say to your people this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen. I want you to imagine with me for a moment what it may have felt like to be one of the disciples sitting in that room in Bethany. You've been following Jesus for quite some time at this point, months or even years for some of you. And in this time, you've become an integral part of Jesus' ministry as you've been serving alongside him while he travels around the country. At the same time, you have been served by him as you have been poured into him or have him, him pour into you through the teachings that he has been giving. Now, some of these teachings have been directed to the crowds of people following along behind him. And you've listened along as well as you hear what he has to say to these followers. Others of these teachings have been directed at you and these others in his close inner circle. Now, some of these things seem a little bit obvious and sound a bit like the things your mother and father taught you as a child. Love your neighbor. Do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. But there are some other things Jesus has been teaching that seem to be flying far above your head, as he has a tendency to talk in parables about himself and about the kingdom of God. And yet, despite some of these more confusing pieces, you've still stuck by his side with this desire to serve him and to continue to learn from him. And so here you are, gathered together in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. Now, this is another thing that you have had to get used to as you've been following Jesus. This rather odd assortment of characters that seem to be drawn towards him and his teachings. The outcasts and the marginalized. Those who live on the fringes of society, such as this former leper whose house you have gathered in. But hey, not all of you have the most honorable past either, so who's to judge? And as you're reclining around the table, a woman enters into the room, carrying a beautiful alabaster jar. 
And as she takes the lid off this jar, you can smell the richness of the perfume permeating throughout the house. Before you can even begin to ponder how many months or years worth of your measly wages it would take to afford something like this, the woman is pouring this on Jesus' head. Now, what is she thinking? Does she even know how much food you could buy for the homeless if you had sold that? Clearly, this woman has not been listening to Jesus' teachings. Didn't she hear the parts that he taught about caring for the poor and needy? I mean, that is what Jesus has been talking about, right? We don't have to keep imagining what the disciples thought of the woman's actions. They tell us here pretty clearly as they say, what a waste. What a waste of money and resources. What a waste of opportunity to be able to tell Jesus and show him that they've been listening to what he's been saying. They get it. Sell all your possessions. Give all you have to the poor. These are the teachings of Jesus that make sense to them. These concrete and tangible ways that they are called to be disciples of their Lord. In the years that they have been following Jesus, not everything has always made sense. But this is one thing that they know for certain. Following the law, which says that they are to care for the poor and the needy, is of utmost importance. Now, many of us in the church have been following Jesus for even longer than these close disciples of his. We aren't stretched far beyond our comfort zone to go through an exercise that challenges us to imagine what it would be like to listen to his teachings for years. We know and understand the laws presented in the Bible. Those two who are newer to their faith, or perhaps those who are exploring Christianity for the first time, they also can understand that the gospel has often been presented as a sort of handbook for following God's laws. You don't have to be in church or know Christians for very long to understand that the Bible gives a lot of instructions on how we ought to live and act. There are, of course, the simple and obvious commandments. Don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. But we've been taught that as good and upright Christians, ones who truly follow Jesus, we are called to an even higher standard of living. We are to go a step further as we not only love our neighbors, but we're also called to love our enemies. We remember the Sabbath and keep it holy by attending church on Sundays, putting our tithes and offerings into the collection basket each week, holding hands around the dinner table as we give thanks to God, just as he commanded us to do. But like the disciples, I'm not sure we've always grabbed on to the pieces of Christ's teaching that we're supposed to. I mean, it certainly looks like we're doing the right things as we're trying to live our lives in accordance with the scriptures. We believe that we just need to follow the commands that God gives us in the Bible. Give to the needy, volunteer with a charity, practice our spiritual disciplines in praying and fasting and memorizing scripture, worry less, love more, and on the whole, just be a better person. The list is long. 
And as we look to the Bible, and as we see all that seems to be asked of us, the list gets longer and longer. And being a follower of Christ can feel like it's just turned into a checklist of items that have to be done for us to claim our identity as a Christian. And still, despite how overbearing this may seem at times, we are still inclined to cling to these concrete and tangible ways that we are called to be followers of Christ. And maybe some of us do these things really well. We see the way that Christians ought to act, and we run after them head on. And like the disciples, we're not afraid to tell others along the way how they also ought to be living their lives, how they ought to be more holy or more generous or more righteous or just more Christian. Or perhaps we've experienced the other side of things as we've heard the condemning voices of other Christians asking us, why this waste? And maybe we've begun to question whether or not we are doing enough ourselves to live up to the standards set by Jesus. Have we listened to and interpreted his scriptures well enough? Do we pray often enough? Do we know enough scripture? Have we given enough to the poor and needy? Have we done enough to be counted as one of Christ's disciples? Have we done enough to deserve a spot in heaven next to our Messiah? It's easy to allow these questions to begin to dominate the narrative of our faith. And it was probably pretty easy for the disciples to fall into that same trap of believing that their security in Christ was dependent on their ability to follow his commands. The loud voices of the Pharisees in their synagogues had been teaching them for years that the only way to get to God was by following the law down to every minute detail. But friends, that is not what this story tells us this morning. After Jesus' disciples proclaim their knowledge of good deeds while they're ridiculing the woman, while she pours out the perfume, Jesus rebukes them, not in a way of judgment or condemnation, but rather he gently reminds them of what being his follower is all about. It's about him. It's only ever been about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. The disciples hadn't really quite grasped that in all the years of listening to his teaching. After all this time, they were still looking at the things Christ was calling them to do rather than listening to the ways that he was inviting them to follow him. But this woman in the passage, who had likely been following Jesus for just as many years as the men around her, she got it. She had been listening not only to the parts of Christ's teaching that said they were to care for the poor and needy, but also to the parts where he proclaimed that he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the one they had been waiting for to come for so long to liberate them from sin and death. 
And so this woman gave the very best of what she had in that room in Bethany as she poured out her perfume to anoint her Messiah. Now, it may be tempting to want to make this story about the woman and what she does for Jesus. And I think that we ought to acknowledge the role that women played in Jesus' ministry, the ways that they followed him just as faithfully as the men around them. And yet the fact that the author of the Gospel of Matthew leaves her as an unnamed, unidentified woman in this passage is not an accident. Because this story is not about her. This is about Jesus, our anointed prophet, priest, and king. This is about Jesus, who came to fulfill the prophecies that said that the serpent's head would be crushed and sin would be defeated. This is about Jesus who mere days after this event in Bethany would walk the road to Calvary so he could pour out his blood so that we could be anointed as joint heirs in the kingdom of God. This is about Jesus, who paid an unimaginable price, far greater than any of that mere perfume, so that we could be free forever from sin and death. This is about Jesus, who reigns forever whose kingdom has no end. It was not obedience to the law that made these 12 disciples, the disciples and followers of Jesus, just as it was not any action of their own that allowed them to receive the salvation that Christ poured out for us on the cross. Rather, it was the Savior that they followed. It was the way that they were able to profess You are the Christ, the son of the living God, when they had previously been asked who they believed Jesus to be. It's not what we do that makes us Christians. It is who we follow. Our identity in Christ is not secured by the ways that we can obey his commandments or the laws presented to us in the Bible but it is secured by the blood shed for us on the cross. It is secured in the victory of the resurrection on Easter morning. Those questions that we ask ourselves, have we listened to Jesus teaching well enough? Do we pray often enough? Do we know enough scripture? These questions are not relevant because it is Jesus who has done enough for us. It is not about what we can do or have done for Christ, but it is about what he already has done for us. It is Jesus who makes us his disciples, and it is Jesus who makes a way for us to live with him in eternity. It is only Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this is not to say that we are not called to follow Christ's commandments to love others or that we're not called to care for the poor and the needy. We know that the scriptures tell us in James 2 that faith without works is dead. And yet, as this passage demonstrates, what are our works if not to exalt and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? The work that this woman did as she anointed her Messiah was truly a beautiful thing, as Christ said. 
In her desire to honor Jesus, she unknowingly took part in a much larger narrative of the redemptive work that God is doing in the world. In her simple desire to honor her Lord and worship him, she prepared him for a burial that she didn't know would come so soon. When we worship God, when we exalt his name together, as Psalm 34 says to us, we also play a part in that redemptive narrative. Following Christ's commandments to love God, love others, and love ourselves is a way that we can worship and extol the name of our Savior, Jesus. I spent the last four summers serving with a Christian ministry in the national parks, ACM&P as they're called. If you're unfamiliar with the ministry, they send out their team members, primarily college students, but some older um, students and other people as well. They send them out to work a job in a national park where they then engage in relational ministry with their coworkers in this secular setting as well as on the weekends, provide worship services in the park amphitheaters for park guests, as well as the employees working there. ACMNP is designated as an interdenominational organization, which means that while it is a Christian group, it does not have one singular denominational affiliation. In the four years that I served, I did have team members that came from a reformed background but also served with those who were Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, Wesleyan, Catholic, and non-denominational. At times, our differences in beliefs could lead to some rather lively discussions. On more than one occasion, when I shared that I attend Calvin Theological Seminary, I received a, ah, so you're a Calvinist, to which I would have to reply with, yes, but not like that. Throughout the week, as we would discuss our faith together through shared meals and in our team meetings, we had a lot of disagreements on how it is that we're called to live out our faith and how it is that we are to follow the commands that God gives us. Disagreements in how it is that we are to tithe. Disagreements on who it is who is called to serve in the church. But all of this washed away on Sunday mornings. And we would gather together in a national park amphitheater, worshiping our one savior. When we lifted our voices together as one, just as this woman lifted her alabaster jar to pour over Jesus' head. The voices of college students across denominations serving in ministry on their summer break. The voices of a retired minister and his wife who are traveling the country in their RV. The voices of tired parents and their energetic children, still in their pajamas, having heard our singing from two campsites down. The voices of other park employees who are still not quite sure what it meant to follow Jesus. But they were there because a coworker had invited them to come. A coworker who had been showing them what it means when we follow Christ's commandment to love our neighbor with an unconditional kind of love. All of these voices join together to worship our one and only Jesus. When we follow Christ's commands that say that we are to love the Lord our God 
and love our neighbor as ourselves, we do so out of gratitude for the work that Christ has done for us. Our obedience to Christ's teachings, the teachings that the disciples in that room that day knew so well, ones that say that they were to care for the poor and needy, that obedience does not precede our salvation but rather it pours out of our exaltation when we praise the name of Jesus. Friends, the good news that we read in this passage, the good news that we get to receive today and every day is that all of this, life, death, the final resurrection, all of it comes only from our Jesus who loved us enough to die for us loved us enough to hang on the cross and shed his blood so that we could live with him. And as we live as joint heirs in the kingdom of God, anointed to participate in that redemptive work that he is doing in the world, we get to rest in the knowledge that he is far bigger and far greater and holds far more control than we have. We get to raise our voices and our alabaster jars in celebration of the work, the beautiful work that Jesus has done for each one of us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for the work that your Son did for us. We thank you for the deep assurance that it is not by our own means that we have to try and reach for our salvation, but it is by the deep and unconditional love that you pour out on us, that we can live with you. We pray that our hallelujahs and our praises and our worship will turn into a blessing that will participate in the work that you are doing to restore your kingdom. We thank you, Father, and we love you. Amen.